welcome back to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaverdam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at PCRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation in our denomination. So we're having conversations with pastors throughout this Christian Reformed Church to find out what's happening in our denomination, but also to hear what Reformation might look like. We want to keep saying thanks to all of you who are sharing our content. You're doing a great job. You're helping us out a lot. Thank you so much. Keep listening and keep sharing it. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We are dropping episodes every single Monday. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's conversation with Tyler Wagenmaker. Tyler, why don't you get us started by telling us a little bit about yourself and uh, the church that you serve? Boy, about myself, I am uh, a product of West Michigan. I That's one of the best ways to start. Born in Grand Rapids, baptized at Brookside Christian Reformed Church uh, when I was very small by my parents. Um, I was only there for just a couple of years. I, not, I don't remember any of that. Uh, End up going to Muskegon for a couple of years. We moved out there and uh, so attended uh, Calvin Christian Reformed Church out there when uh, growing up for a few years until eventually moved to, to Coopersville around uh, the age of kindergarten or so. Um, kindergarten, which I flunked, by the way. Uh, it's possible <laughs> to flunk. Well, I don't know if I flunked it. I was held back. Uh, uh, and, and, and you can tell it has repercussions in my life to this very day. Um, so, uh, but anyway, uh, actually, so I consider Coopersville, my hometown here in, in Ottawa County, about a half hour for those who don't know how about half hour outside of Grand Rapids. And it's a broadly kind of bedroom community of Grand Rapids, some farming community grew up in, I consider Coopersville Christian Reformed Church, my home church growing up. And uh, that's my formative years of, of uh, you know, Sunday school, catechism. Reverend Stoutmeyer, back in third grade, uh, we would, after school on Wednesdays, we would be let off uh, by the bus from, uh, from Aldo Christian. And uh, no, actually, fourth grade is when that began. Uh, for me, they eventually made it third grade. But we would, we would be let off at the school, and we would have... Uh, catechism class led by Reverend Stoutmeyer, and he would do a couple of different uh, classes there at the at the church. But for the first half hour before class always began, we would play bombardment or dodgeball. Uh, we always called it bombardment, which is so that was a great time actually of just enjoyment, just playing, and uh, and then eventually we would go into catechism have to memorize the compendium at first and then the Heidelberg Catechism later on. So already early on in fourth grade through, you know, through high school, um, I would at, at Coopersville, we got the Heidelberg Catechism, the compendium, then the Heidelberg Catechism, I had to memorize it, question answers, um, not just occasionally one or two here, like every single one. Reverend Stoutmeyer was very good uh, at making sure that we memorized that we got grades and everything. We got report cards. Uh, so he, I mean, there, wow. was, there was a level of seriousness that was uh, expected of us. And I know my folks made sure that, you know, they they held us accountable as kids uh, that we memorized it as well. Uh, I mean, that's an important part of it, too. I mean, churches can say do this, but if the parents aren't 
aren't enforcing and at home, then it makes it difficult for a minister to say, memorize this. If the parents aren't, aren't uh, making sure their kids are doing that. So my parents did that. They made sure I memorized uh, the lessons, you know, Bible study, or excuse me, Bible verses and, and Sunday school on Sundays, catechism on Wednesday afternoons. And then eventually we got to high school. We went through Lewis Burkhoff's summary of Christian doctrine. And uh, so that was, you know, that was rich and formative in high school. And, you know, we're, we're just kind of uh, country sort of folk. And uh, so I just, I'm going to reflect at different times um, as I'm talking about yep. my past, those who say, oh, kids can't memorize. It's, you know, it's too hard. Those are too, in, uh, those concepts are just too involved for them, too complex. I'm like, no, uh, I, I, I don't see that at all. I saw my peers. I saw myself. I don't consider myself e- extremely overly intelligent. I just consider myself average along with my peers. And we're able to study it and read it and, you know, maybe not always articulate it as well as we could now as adults because we've been thinking on it, but the big foundation was laid there for us. And so we got that in, in any way in uh, catechism um, in the high school years, uh, a little bit of church history thrown in there as well. So it was a really good uh, church education um, system as much in many ways as a church can do. You throw in their cadets, um, which we were involved in. At that time, we met every week um, for cadets for the boys and a lot of projects, which I I did not thrive and uh, excel at merit badges. I'll just say that right now. So <laughs> I, I could do some of them, but many of them were like, wow, that's that, that's quite something. We just enjoyed going to the lessons and doing projects like making uh, rockets that we would launch off into into the sky and in fact one rocket I made when it went off it was this black rocket and uh, it well it didn't go super super high but when it did it you know the explosion of the engine made all of a sudden a wing unfold and then it would glide down we made that in cadets some amazing awesome. stuff in cadets I know and and Pinewood Derby races which I I was mediocre at best um, so that's probably a theme of my life, mediocre at best. Uh, uh, so I think that that, uh, kind of qualified, set the pace early on with a Pinewood Derby, uh, car. Some of them could just make those Pinewood Derby cars, even at church here where I pastor at Beaver Dam. Some of them are just amazingly well-designed. They just go so fast. And I reflect at my not so fast cars. Uh, so <laughs> Uh, that's okay. God gives different, different things to different people Amen. at different Amen. times. Um, but yeah, so grew up at Coopersville. My dad was an elder for a number of different turns. My mom played the organ. Uh, even in high school, I actually went and, and joined the church choir. We we sang on Sundays very regularly. Um, Mr. Fenema was our choir director there, and uh, we would learn you know all the parts. So even early on, it was learning not only in congregational singing, because you would sing out of the, the Psalter hymn, those a blue Psalter hymn though, there at Coopersville growing up. Um, so you would learn parts then to harmony uh, with a beautiful pipe organ. Um, one of the families, the, the church actually was struck by lightning at Coopersville and burned. Uh, a lot of the sanctuary burned down. And, uh, but they rebuilt it. When they rebuilt it, they put in a beautiful pipe organ, just a magnificent pipe organ. My mom's a, one of the organists and so I, you know, to this day, I just love a good pipe organ uh, with the, mm-hmm. 
especially you go into some of these cathedrals and I love to travel. It's one of the things I love to do. COVID's kind of put a kibosh a little bit on that. And especially when I go over to Europe, but I love going to cathedrals over in Europe, a lot of these cathedrals. And, and if I'm, uh, you know, I'm blessed to be able to, to happen on when, when there's a, you know, an organist there practicing, or maybe there's a concert or maybe it's on a Sunday and just to, to hear some of the organ, just to feel the pew almost shake underneath you is, uh, is itself quite the experience. Uh, it's in many ways, it's almost otherworldly. It kind of translates you for just a moment. Uh, it gives you a glimpse of, uh, of the powerful music of heaven that awaits us. Amen. So I love that. And, and so in one of those things, uh, you know, through those kind of experiences that began to cultivate um, a love for the church and appreciation. Growing up, I didn't want to be a minister. First, I wanted to be a, uh, uh, a police officer, and then I wanted to be um, an army general. Uh, I still probably want to be an army general, but uh, but <laughs> I want to be an army general, and then eventually a veterinarian for a number of years. Hmm. Uh, but then the more I looked into being a veterinarian, the more I was kind of dissuaded from that. Uh, um, already because back then I was told as a white male, it would be very difficult for me to get into veterinary school. Um, hmm. On that, I'm wow. like, oh, well, that's good to know that. And so the veterinary office was telling me that too, saying you'd have to, you'd have to put in so, so much uh, in order to even just be looked at. So that was a little bit discouraging right then, but in God's providence was a good thing because it channeled me more towards thinking of something out. Uh, of something else. And by that time, my oldest brother was going through Calvin College and uh, was looking at seminary and talking about seminary. And so my older brother, Todd, um, ended up going to seminary, Westminster Seminary in California. Uh, he graduated from there, then came back to Michigan, um, him and his wife, and they had a couple of kids, children already by that time, and, uh, and then did his year of penance uh, there, which is, mm -hmm. uh, you know, really almost like two extra years. And while he was doing that, he went to law school at the University of Illinois, Champaign-Urbana, and uh, got a law degree as an immigration lawyer. In fact, right now, to this very day, does, besides being a, a, um, a pastor in an Orthodox Presbyterian church now, he started out Christian Reform, he pastored two CRC churches, but, uh, but now it's been an LPC pastor for a number of years, but he still does immigration work. Wow. So if you, anyone, anyone listening in on this <laughs> podcast, if you're looking for a good immigration lawyer who specifically deals with religious worker visas and religious workers, um, uh, that's his specialty. And it's kind of an aspect of his ministry too. Um, you know, he charges less than what you would normally find. And he has a lot of experience. So that's my plug to my <laughs> brother, Todd. Yeah, there you go. Um, Amen. Look that up and maybe he'll, maybe he will give me some sort of a, uh, you know, um, uh, pro bono kind of money actually <laughs> later on up there for plugging him right there. So there you go. Um, so, but yeah, so that got me thinking about becoming a minister, um, even more so just by my older brother. And that just reminds me what influence, by the way, that older siblings have on younger siblings, uh, especially some of the old, my oldest one, you know, they a lot of times are the trailblazers of the family. And I hadn't even really thought about being a minister till he, till he became a minister or was you know, talking about that and starting the process of training. And I thought, hmm. So I went to Calvin College. I graduated from Western Michigan Christian High School, went to a couple of different Christian schools growing up. So I had a lot of different friend networks, um, but always still the same church. So that was always the same group of friends there, even though we didn't always go to the same schools. And uh, but I went to, eventually went to Western Michigan Christian High School in Muskegon. Um, the Warriors. In fact, I could sing you the fight song because it's amazing. 
Hamas and up and cheer for Western Christian High for the team in the green and white. Send those cheers crashing through the sky. Our team will shine tonight. Rah, rah, rah. All the wads be great or small. Green and white will win overall. Fight, fight, warriors from Christian High. Keep marching on to victory. Fight. So anyway, that's wow. the best fight song I think out there, actually, of all the college I, and high school ones I've come across. Favorite podcast moment so far. <laughs> okay, wonderful. That's good. Yeah, so. I definitely could not sing my high school fight song. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> well, that's a good challenge, Jason. I'm going to go back yeah. and, and um, uh, reacquaint yourself with that fight song. Do they have uh, a fight song I trust? Y- yes, they did. We do. The, oh, yeah, we do. yeah. Willie and I both graduated from the same high school, but oh, um, okay. Um, and we did have a fight song, but I I don't remember it. They they <laughs> they would sing it while we were playing football. Um, oh. so I was kind of focused elf elsewhere. But Willie, do you remember the fight song? Of course not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't have an excuse, Willie. You should know. You should know better. Uh, what if I just don't like it? Yeah, <laughs> Ooh. it's a repressed memory, though. Jason. Let him have his yeah. repressed memory. Uh, all right, so, all right. Uh, so, so you, anyway. so did you, did you go to Calvin College then? I did. I went to Calvin College, although I, I, I entertained for just a brief moment going applying to West Point uh, Military Academy because mm. wow. I, I did. I, you know, I love the military. <clears throat> I, I don't think I would have gotten in just honestly, again, that goes back to that mediocre thing. Um, uh, and they, mm-hmm. you know, they just do the best of the best at West point. But, um, but I still, I still have kept, they sent me a brochure cause I asked for it and, and got it. I still kept that of all the brochures <laughs> that I got from college, you get a ton. And um, uh, I even threw out the one from Calvin college so I, where I actually went and um, uh, <laughs> but the one from West point, I kept that one. So I so see I still would wouldn't mind being a general and and also the president of the United States or the governor of Michigan I'll I'll settle for those also too but um, that's uh, so if anyone listening has like really deep multi million dollar now billion actually at this point uh, pockets uh, yeah feel free to get a hold of me and uh, we'll, we'll yeah so you're now announcing your run for governor of yes Michigan I'm announcing my candidacy yes <laughs> I'll move to Michigan just to vote for you. Hey, well, thank you. You don't even know my platform yet, Willie. I don't have to. (laughs) You can sing your high school fight song. That's good enough for him. Yes, you can run on that Rest assured that the Office of Social Justice of our denomination, I don't think would be a firm supporter of my candidacy. So Probably not. So, yes. Yeah. Um, so moving out of Calvin College then, Tyler, did you go to Calvin Sem too, or did you go somewhere else for seminary? You went to Westminster, well, I, right? Yeah, I went to Westminster Theological Seminary um, for two years, and uh, and then I transferred into Calvin Seminary for my last two years. So my MDiv is actually from Calvin Seminary, and uh, so I had most of the professors. Everyone else has also had a Calvin Seminary at that time, and and had some again some really amazing professors at Westminster Seminary, and especially even uh, the student body at Westminster Seminary was so so rich, uh, the conversations that we would have. Um, it wasn't kind of superficial conversations even too. Now, sometimes in, in the CRC politics of that time and then and even today, you, you have to kind of be careful sometimes who you have conversations around what you talk about and then you have to walk on eggshells, it feels like. Uh, it didn't have that at all at Westminster. I mean, mm. it was just a robust, really good 
conversations about faith and life and scripture and the confessions, uh, which in really way, many ways is what seminary should be. Um, uh, seminary should be that time for exploring that and talking that and being firmly rooted in that. Um, so I loved my time at Westminster West. I had a good time at Calvin Seminary too. Um, so, but I really loved uh, the time at Westminster West in terms of just even broadly outside of the classroom um, as a result of that. So, um, but yeah, so it was at Calvin College, really involved in campus actually then too. Um, uh, you know, I was chair of, uh, a co-chair and then chair of the Calvin College Republicans, uh, a group actually, which uh, for three years, a group that my, my oldest brother, Todd, actually founded when he was at Calvin College. So, uh, wow. and so we would bring in different speakers uh, through the Acton Institute and other kind of, you know, who's who of the, and, and conservative speakers uh, uh, and thinkers of that day. And we'd bring them onto Calvin's campus. I remember when Todd was there, for instance, William Buckley, William F. Buckley came and spoke and, and we had many others like that. So it was just a good time of talking about life. We'd interact with the chimes and different groups on campus. Uh, I was an RA for a year. So you get to know people and have conversations that way too. Love my time at Calvin College. I know Calvin College today is not the Calvin College even when I was there. Things are things are different. Even some of the professors yeah. there now are those I was at and I had some classes with. Um, so, uh, so yeah, uh, things change. But uh, but I was glad for you know for my time at Calvin. Glad especially for my time at Westminster and and uh, Calvin Seminary was good too. So. Then got called to my present church right out of seminary, and I've been here since. So they can't get rid of me. Well, I guess they could get rid of me. There are procedures for that. So, <laughs> how long? How long have you been uh, at your current church now? I'm in my 21st year. 21st years. That, that that's awesome. I love uh, I love and hearing about long term pastorates. And that really is a testament. And I say this to others, but I seriously mean that. Uh, it's a testament to. Uh, to the kindness and graciousness of this congregation, people, God's people here in Beaver Dam, um, that uh, is just wonderful people to pastor and to live life with, and and to be able to to walk with in our in our Christian faith and to grow and to be real with each other. Uh, I mean, we can laugh together, we can joke together, we can kid each other, we can in Christian love mock each other when you need to do that too, and encourage each other and, and grieve with each other, mourn with each other. I mean, all the aspects of ministry, just an authentic kind of Christian life. And uh, that, I mean, I love the, I love the people here uh, here at Beaver Dam. They they are my family, um, Amen. And, you know, extension of my family and and my family itself. There, this is the family that will endure to into eternity. I mean, my earthly family will too, by God's grace, because they're all believers. And so I look forward to that time of of being able to, you know, to to, to keep doing life with them into eternity. Not only the family I was raised with and born with, and I still interact with actively, but my church family here too. Amen. Thanks be to God. Um, I am actually wondering about your uh, broader denominational experience and kind of wondering what that's been like on the classical level. I know you've been active on the synodical level as well. That's where that's where we had connected a couple of years ago. Um, so, yeah, just uh, if you could elaborate more on your experience on uh, your involvement in the broader denomination. Well, the I know in, here in classes, Zeal and I've been, uh, you know, thankfully been very involved in the classes uh, since I got here in Beaver Dam, actually, it was uh, just a couple of years after being here, I was uh, on elected to the classical interim um, committee, the CIC, which eventually became the CIT um, in there too. 
Um, even even actually when I was deployed, because I was uh, I joined, by the way, the the army as a chaplain um, back in partway through seminary. So in between my time at Westminster Seminary and Calvin Seminary, um, I uh, took a, a chaplain officer basic course and at Fort Jackson, South Carolina and became a, a chaplain. So I was deployed to Iraq back in 2004, 2005 with a, um, a battalion and a brigade actually from, uh, from Louisiana, uh, which uh, they proudly identified themselves as uh, really a mixture of uh, Cajun Roman Catholics and, uh, and redneck Baptists um, uh, on the North. So, uh, so it was, there wasn't, there wasn't a reformed among, uh, uh, among any of them, except for one lone Presbyterian. So among all the soldiers and he was loosely Presbyterian. He didn't know much of anything. So, uh, so it was a great ministry experience. So military, I could talk about that even just a whole nother set of podcasts, but, uh, but um, even while I was gone and when I came back to classes, I was still able to remain part of the classical um, interim committee, which eventually became when we reimagined stuff in the classical level, the classical interim team, um, been involved in a lot of different classical um, different committees, because in many ways I've been applying and I've been, uh, you know, volunteering, actively volunteering to get on denominational boards. I would put my name forward. Calvin College Board, for instance, Calvin Seminary, World Missions. I mean, all these different boards, the Board of Trustees even, I would put my name forward, never went anywhere, never went anywhere. But I wanted, I had time, I wanted to serve the church. I could do that on a classical level, certainly in my congregational level. I could do that on a, on a classical level. And that's where a lot of ministry and relationships are taking place uh, in a more intentional kind of way anyway. And so I'm glad for that, you know, God's providence. I was able to spend that time um, with, uh, you know, with God's people here in the churches of class of Zealand. So, you know, a couple of different, you know, we are, we were on a study committee I was put on, for instance, dealing with the matters of immigration, um, because our churches, some of the churches were really grappling with that. What does that look like? So we deal with, um, especially a growing Hispanic community, um, and as immigration issues impact the churches, how do we minister? And so I was on a study committee with that, with a couple of different pastors, different ideological positions on immigration, even too. It was good, and it just reminded me the importance of that we can do good work, um, you know, on some of these hot button kind of political issues. We just don't have to only have one side um, on there. Sometimes it feels like we have that on the denominational level. I think we need to broaden that out, especially on political issues where sometimes it's more of an adiaphora uh, kind of thing. Different people are different places. They have different perspectives on that. We have to allow each other some of that space in terms of some of the, the, the political issues where we can, you know, on tax law, in, uh, for instance, uh, or, you know, let's hash out a little bit more. What is good, healthy immigration look like? Um, you know, different Christians can come different positions on that in good conscience and rooted still firmly with a um, in God's word and with appreciation for Christ's church and what that looks like to look towards an eternity, a, a future kingdom. So we did that even here in class of Zealand. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I could talk even more about other kind of um, one, one of the committees I when we were reimagining things, Willie, you had asked about on classes that I really love probably the most of all is uh, we, we started out as called the Koinia, classes Koinia team, because uh, one of the things in my heart I think is important is that when people don't always see eye to eye, and we didn't always see eye to eye in the ministers of classes Zealand, 
um, you know, like on women's ordination, there's variety of positions on that uh, in, in our classes, for instance. So how do we how do we get to the point where we can still learn to love each other and uh, and and yeah, love each other and get to know each other um, without being kind of boogeyman um, boogeymaning each other, um, sort of thinking the worst about each other. And so, you know, through this classes Koinia team, we came up with a, you know, minister's retreat. So we put that on. We had never done minister's retreat, overnight retreat, where we, you know, we had some intentional time of learning and conversations, but also just playing together, you know, games uh, mm -hmm. together and getting to know each other um, outside of a ministry kind of context as well. And then we expanded that even more to, you know, pastors and spouses outings and so that the spouses were able to get to know each other a little bit as well. And then we expanded that to, you know, to elder training, but we need to do more intentional elder training here. So we bring in some, you know, some really good, thoughtful, um, uh, you know, theologians um, from different parts of the United States, even we'd even fly them in to do a, an evening session with our elders and give them a meal. And then it would be an hour and a half's worth of training and talking. And, you know, many churches, they did that in place of their elders meeting in May, for instance, um, uh, so those are some things that I was um, uh, thankfully able to be a yeah. part of and help to plan actively and lead and uh, different roles in the classes. Yeah. And you're also, I know you've been involved in some more denominational stuff too, right? So I know you've been a delegate to Synod. Um, how many times have you been a delegate to Synod? Uh, boy, I, I think four times. I want to say four times. We're, okay. we're really good at classes zealand of kind of spreading the wealth um out there where we just don't have one minister some classes I've, I've noticed that you know they'll get one one or two ministers for instance who will go like every other year and and that's part of you know our thinking in classes zealand is no uh we have we're really we have a lot of really solid ministers and so let's give them opportunities to to be part of that process um just don't don't lord it over others in that sense. Um, you know, let people share that experience. So yeah, I've been in classes for 21 years now. Uh, and I think I've been to Synod for maybe five times, I think maybe four times, but I, I don't know if you, you know, but I'm on the COD now, the council of delegates. And so I don't know if this past summer and this upcoming summer counts as Synod uh, going to Synod because we had to, to meet in lieu of Synod. Uh, I have a Synod uh, 2020 pen, I think they gave me. Um, so uh, maybe I'll get a Synod 2021 pen. Um, so you might have to add that to the tally. I'm not sure. <laughs> so how, how long have you served on a, a council of delegates? Oh, boy. I, I'm in my third year now. I, I believe that's correct. I'm in my third year now. Okay. So you're just wrapping up your first term, right? There are three-year terms? Yes, they're three-year terms. And with uh, the chance of being, I think you can be rolled over once for, for a second term if, yeah. if the class is so chooses. Yeah. And so I'd love to hear just some of your, uh, if you've been on COD for uh, three years, uh, for those who don't know what that is, that's the Council of Delegates. They kind of serve um, in the absence of synod meeting. Um, and so what, what's been your experience serving on the council of delegates? Cause it's kind of a new, a new thing for the, for the Christian reformed church. And it's probably, there's some growing pains going there as well, but, but so yeah, what's been your experience serving as a delegate there? 
Well, I, I know I enjoyed us meeting in person uh, much more than Zoom. We, we've been meeting, I've been of, of the Council of Delegates meetings, I think by now, oh, half of them easily have been Zoom out over Zoom. Mm. We used to meet in person, you know, we would go to uh, you know, to a different part of the U.S. or here in West Michigan. Um, and th the nice thing about in person is that you have meals together, you have conversations together, you get to, again, know each other, almost like that koinonia thing. So uh, so that you build relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ, and you see how you're similar, you also see how you're very different. Um, uh, and, and those are important conversations to have, too, to get a sense of each other, to say, huh, you know, I'm, I guess I'm more on the page with you than I thought, or wow, we are just, we are just super far apart. I, I don't see how, I don't even know why we're in the same denomination almost. And sometimes I, you know, I wonder that uh, mm -hmm. in those conversations, but it, it's better to know that truth than to, um, to, to think and pretend and live as if there's an alternate reality of this is how the Christian Reformed Church is. Um, and maybe based on how it maybe used to be. The, the Christian Reformed Church today is not the Christian Reformed Church, even of when I was growing up. And even then it was in a bit of transition and controversy. That's when uh, the issue of theistic evolution was um, at, being taught at Calvin College with Van Til, um, with his fourth day book. And there was a the big controversy then, and then the women in office issue on top of that. So there was a lot going on, even when I was growing up in my, some of my formative years through high school, which by the way, to have lively debates uh, with my teachers in middle school and high school. And, uh, and I would give them tapes about different people who'd come in and, and, and speak. I'm like, I'm like, Mr. Arkman, you need to listen to this. And, uh, or, you know, I'd say, Mr. Forbes, uh, what do you think of this? I mean, we would have good conversations um, back and forth um, on those kind of issues. So, but even then, the, the Christian Reformed Church of my youth is not the Christian Reformed Church of today. Um, and, uh, you know, there are a lot of reasons for that, but. Yeah. Do you think that the functioning with a council of delegates rather than a board of trustees, do you think that that's been a good move for our denomination? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Again, like I mentioned, I, I volunteer to be on the board of trustees. And in many ways, it, it now this is the impression from the outside. I never was on the board of trustees, but uh, it became very almost self-selecting. Uh, because there were, it was much more limited. It was based on a region. And so like a region could be composed of four or five different class, four different classes. Um, and so uh, usually the, the, the favorite ones, the favorite sons and daughters would be those who would get on the, uh, on the board of trustees. And, uh, and those who were not the favorite ones uh, would, would never even have a shot at it. I wasn't the favorite, you know, I wasn't the favorite one. And so, I mean, it was never even considered. Uh, so, but now, because of kind of a more representational model where each class sends a delegate, I think you get a better flavor of where the Christian Reformed Church is at because then the, the classes has a much more active role in the voice that they send. Now, there's a lot more voices as a consequence of that, but I think you get a better flavor and, uh, and a, a healthier debate um, and putting forth of different views and positions on the COD. In many ways, it operates as a mini synod. Um, even when we gather mm -hmm. together, you know, you have committees, you break out committees, you come with reports to the broader body then, 
and you vote on that, you discuss that. In many ways, it behaves a lot like a mini synod. It's, but instead of four delegates per classes, you have one delegate per classes plus a couple of at-large delegates. Yeah, and, and I think that I, I was happy to see that move because I, I felt like this would give us a better um, representation of the of our denomination as a whole. And, and I know some people said, well, things are going to move so slowly. It's going to be hard to make decisions. And, and I would say, yeah, that's a good thing though. That's not always a bad thing. There's a, there's, there's a benefit in actually slowing things down and making us have to work through them and, and argue a little bit about things and, and, and have a discussion or a debate and maybe even a little bit of a fight over how we're going to move forward. And, and that's actually a, a good thing. Agreed. Very much so. Yeah. So I'd like to kind of move forward and so um, and ask you what you think are some of the strengths of the CRC, because as someone who's um, a child of the CRC and a child of West Michigan, you've kind of seen the CRC for many years. And so what do you think are some of the strengths of uh, the Christian Reformed Church? I think the, the strengths are the the history um, it's not kind of a fly-by-night sort of thing. I mean, we go back into the mid-1800s. So there is, I mean, informally as a denomination, and then even deeper roots than that in, in terms of the history of, of Dutch Reformed confessionalism. So, and even broader continental Reformed uh, confessionalism when you when you think about, let's say, the, uh, the Canons of Dort, for instance, and... Uh, and you think even more broadly of the Belgic Confession and, uh, and the Heidelberg Catechism, which are reflected out or which are respected outside of just the Netherlands. So, uh, so I think there's a, a deep rootedness that we have a heritage, which again can either be maintained in a vibrant way through intentionality, or it can be uh, repudiated actively and and walked away from, or it can just kind of languish through benign neglect and uh, and not really make much of a difference. I would like to see the first of those, um, uh, a consistent working at and energizing of this confessional reformed heritage that's part of our history, part of our makeup and our DNA, uh, at least going back many generations. And, uh, and more broadly, even just influencing the, the more broad reformed community outside of the Netherlands, uh, just a, a, a need, a desire to say we are principally confessional. Um, but you have to work at that. I prefer that than a repudiation of it or a benign neglect of it where it just kind of languishes and we just don't pay much attention to it. Um, so I think in terms of even where we go as a denomination, if uh, you know denominational loyalty, uh, a lot of loyalty just in general to a lot of institutional things has been has been passing away these past uh, 10, 20 years. Um, and, and even beyond that, I remember when I was younger, it was kind of the rage. Uh, home missions at that time was encouraging a lot of new church plants uh, to, to, to shed the name Christian Reformed. And so you would, you would get some kind of generic uh, uh, river of life or something like that name for a church. You wouldn't even know it's Christian Reformed. Maybe there was a small little tagline, maybe, at the bottom of a sign somewhere. And at the time, I thought, we, we're Christian Reformed. We should be Christian Reformed. Why would you run from that? That's, there's a deep richness of a, of a heritage of being reformed there. Um, mm-hmm. So, but, uh, so I remember that was a bit more of the rage and now I'm probably more in that, more in that camp. 
uh, only because, uh, because at least in this context, the Christian reform name a lot of times is actually a liability uh, mm. for those who want to be reformed, intentionally reformed, uh, because of some of the, I would call it the, the milk toast kind of middle of the road, let's try to make everyone happy and let's not make any hard definitive statements about much of anything unless sometimes it feels like it's more of a leftist kind of a political thing. We'll make hard statements about that. Well, that and doing ministry in that, with that, in the context in which, for instance, we do ministry here in West Michigan, in this part of West Michigan, that's a liability. So, you know, those who are looking for something more confessional, they're not, they see Christian reform on the sign, they're like, nope, you know, I'll check out the OPC or the PCA or the URC or, uh, or, or the local Bible church, which has, which is on fire for God's word. I'll look at those things. Um, Christian reformed, I'm not going to do that. Uh, and for those who care about that, and for those who are, you know, more on the liberal side of things, you know, they would look at our website or step foot in, in Beaver Dam. They'd be like, no way, that's too conservative. And, uh, and so, you know, we're traditional in our worship style. We're not an uber contemporary kind of a church. So, you know, if someone's looking for contemporary, uh, they'd be like, well, again, yeah. Uh, a lot of Christian Reformed churches I've known have be, become very contemporary. We're, we're one of the, I, guess I would say it's a minority that is just, we're, we're just traditional in our worship style. Um, and so th- the name is actually, has become a liability in terms of doing ministry. So it's surprising how when I was younger, I'd be like, keep the name Christian Reformed. And now I'm like, I think you make a really good case to take that off the sign. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I want to jump back to something um, or kind of connect the dots. You had talked about one of the strengths of the CRC is our kind of reformed confessional heritage. And uh, and when you were describing your childhood, it sounds like you had a very rigorous training in the in the confessions and the catechism. And and I was thinking as you were describing that a number of people would hear what you were talking about and say, that sounds painful terrible i i would have never wanted to have to memorize the catechism and um but you said it with a lot of joy and so i'd love for you to kind of connect that why uh, it seems like you enjoyed that rigorous training in the catechism even though you're not um self-identified as a like an intellectual you're kind of mediocre right you said but but you enjoyed having to memorize those things and yet so many people think of that as just dry and painful and so uh what do you think how how would you answer someone when i was a kid i didn't enjoy memorizing it was like pulling teeth um so i liked playing dodgeball i i liked uh i i liked that aspect of church i didn't uh i you know sometimes i found it a bit boring actually going to class but i was a kid so i was a stupid kid um uh so Teach me what I need to know. Don't don't base don't base what I should be taught and, and what should be done to me based on me as you know as a fourth grader or fifth grader. I'm immature. Uh, I, there's a lot I don't know about the implications of things. So teach it to me, require it of me, and uh, and you know looking back on it, especially now now especially I'm very thankful for that because it gave me a good foundation it gave me the language of the faith gave me an appreciation much more so and a working knowledge even of the confessions so it's not some uh you know 
beast off to the side that uh, that I know very little about. Um, you know, teach it to me when you're when I'm young, even if I don't want to do it. Okay, a lot of things we don't want to do in life. That's life. That that's the commitment of life. The, uh, you know. Things that are worthwhile in life, relationships that are worthwhile, things knowing, that requires work, which is, I could go off on a tangent on, on this, Jason, but this is why, for instance, these uh, uh, examinations that, that we have, that classes do of ministers, and I think they, and I hear this from, from those who are church visitors who go and sit in on these examinations too in other classes. I, I'm hearing, I hear from so many of them oftentimes, they lament the quality of the examinations now and the quality of the answers. I mean, we're letting outright Arminians into our pulpits. Uh, it's just craziness. And, and classes are just saying, okay, just giving a pass. Well, you know, they'll maybe grow in this. We'll put up with Arminianism for a little bit from our pulpit and, and training us. See, part of it is, I, I think that demonstrates, we just don't, we don't value, we don't value this stuff enough because we're, if we valued it, you know, we don't have that same approach towards medical doctors. Medical doctors are like, oh yeah, you'll learn on the job, I guess. So go ahead and try to do surgery on a bunch of people and you'll eventually get it, you know, a couple of years down the road, maybe. Um, we don't take that same approach when people go to medical boards. We don't take that same approach when you're a lawyer and you're defending someone's life or livelihood in a court case. You want someone who's competent, who knows the law and who's able to articulate it. Why do we take this sloppy kind of approach towards those who are doctors of the soul, who are lawyers of God's holy word? That's all we have for this week. Stay tuned next week for part two of our conversation with Tyler Wagonmaker. Until then, don't forget this is Christ's church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation. Reformation.